0: You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach.
1: Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach. And if there is a silver lining to the corrupt and scary politics of this moment, and we are recording during the impeachment trial of President Trump, If there is a silver lining for me, it is the online presence of my guest, Molly Jong Fast. Molly Jong did not want this to happen, to be clear, and no one did, that we know. But her resistance in the form of tweets, in the form of columns for the Daily Beast and the Atlantic and the Bulwark and Playboy her voice has become one of the leading voices of resistance and pushback and intelligence and feminism and she's here in the studio and i could not be happier and this is somebody i've known not well for a long time and i had no idea when we first met that i would yearn for your wisdom (laughs) (laughs) on this podcast so many years later. And we'll be right back with Molly (music) Jongfast. Molly Jongfast is another Upper East Side Jewish woman of privilege, Like, like me, like many of us. And yet, her identity, her persona, and her courage has just blossomed in the last few years, and your, your eloquence has blossomed, and your political understanding has has exploded. <laughs> what happened to you?
0: Um, <laughs> where should we start? I yeah. was born. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, you know, I think I was very affected. I. I think a couple of things happened to me. I always think about. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, and I think a couple of different things happened to me that got me to the place of. uh, I mean, part of it is that I became a person who would, who, took chances, and wrote about stuff and didn't care about getting death threats, and that idea that. How I became that person was from being a young, publishing my first book when I was a teenager, and real. You know, I had. I'm one of those people who all I want is for people to like me. Like I'm very people Mm pleasing. I'm not. I'm not a. You know, I'm very kind. I just want you to like me and be happy with me and tell me I'm great and like. I'm a crier, you know, if I feel like you're unhappy with me, even if I just feel like you're un- – I mean, I mean, it's not – I'm not bragging. This is like a pathology, but – You're
1: truly sensitive. I'm truly
0: – well, and I'm also just like this sort of – I have a, you know, a sort of a convergence of not great characteristics, but <laughs> I mean that in the best way, obviously. Yeah. But um, yeah. so when I was 19 – you know, I dropped out of college. I was an uh, alcoholic and a drug addict. I went to rehab when I was 19 and you really get the whole story here i hope that's yes, okay yes that's good <laughs> um and uh when i was 19 i i didn't want to go back to college because i was pretty sure that i wouldn't be able to stay sober in college so and i wanted to stay sober because i knew that i had a really bad i really had alcoholism and i and it came by it honestly my grandmother was a famously alcoholic alcoholic And um, I just, I sort of figured if I wrote a book, my mom wouldn't make me go back to college. So I wrote this book, which was largely about my experience getting sober and being a teenage alcoholic. And, and it was, you know, and I, and this book came out and I got paid like 90s money. You know, it was a 90s story. (laughs) Yeah. So like I got paid 90s money and uh, it came out and it got a lot of really good reviews. And then it got... A review in the New York Times that like killed my career, and it was like I got a good review in the Wash in the in uh, the Miami Herald and the Boston Globe, and then they kept saying this New York Times book review is going to come out, and this was a different world. You have to realize, like now there's the internet, now there's this, now there's that. But this was one
1: magazine, one right. newspaper that could Contr- make or break make, a career, right?
0: And and it was, there were no cell ph- you know, cell phones were just getting started. There was no internet. I you know, I had web TV. I mean, it was like yeah. prodigy. It was a totally different world. And I got this review and it was like the phone rang, the phone rang. And then all of a sudden I got this review and the phone stopped ringing. And that was it. And it was like, it was literally like one day I was like on the way up and the next day I was on the way down. And it was amazing. I mean, it was like. You know, there's something so incredibly liberating about having something like that happen to you when you're young because you get to see that it's okay. You life know? goes on. Right. And that you are not the sum of your the things that happen to you. So uh, it ended up, that book ended up coming out in paperback and selling a lot of copies, like 100,000 copies. So it did have a life after that. Um, and what's cool about that book is that people still come up to me and are like, "I got so because the 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 thing that was really cool about it is I got sober when I was nineteen, and I w- I believed because in some ways, you know, I believed I was the youngest person to ever get sober, which is not true. People mm-hmm. get sober when they're teenagers. I mean, not all now much more than then, but um, and so I got to write this book, which said you can get sober at nineteen even though it was a novel. And that was very cool. I was glad I did it. And I was glad that I got that bad review because... And it was really a bad review. I mean, you could Google Do you it. remember who I, I it? I, I, I don't want to say because I just don't want to like yeah. put that bad stuff into the world. But yeah. um, it was... Well, of course. people are jealous of a
1: 19-year-old. And, of
0: course, you remember the person who wrote it forever Yes. And ever. Right. And, and, you know, you went on by deathbed. I mean, yes. you're like Rosebud. Um, yes. But, you know, you never remember the good reviews. No. And actually, a cool story is that I, you know, I'm an editor-at-large at the Daily Beast, and I was at this party and there was a writer for the Daily Beast. I was talking to him and he's like this lovely, lovely guy and he said, you know, I wrote a review of your book and he had written this amazingly kind and like probably the best review I've ever gotten in my life um, of my first book in a British newspaper called The New Statesman like um, and it, and I was like, oh my god, that was you! And it was just like such an incredible. You never remember the good ones, right? It's yeah. true. I mean, yeah. I actually did remember that review, but I didn't remember who wrote it because, uh-huh. unlike that bad review, which was like seared into right. my brain, right? Yeah, so that was interesting. But you know, it, it was such a different. I mean, in some ways, it was such a simple time. The 90s, because you had like, you know, a book went, you know, it went to a certain different places for coverage. Maybe you'd get this, maybe you'd get that. But it wasn't like now half the magazines that we worshipped aren't even in business anymore. Correct. Correct. Which is like I all I wanted in life was to be in, you know, a contributing editor to a magazine that is barely, you know, a newsletter today. Right. It's very weird. You know. It's
1: very different, but yeah. so so that inured you. That that helped it help- groom you to thicken your skin and to yeah. write your truth.
0: Yeah, I mean, it also just helped me. Like, it's so funny because people will be like, "Do you mind getting death threats?" Or do you mind like? That there's you know, horrible pictures of you online, or like there. I was on the cover of Pro Life We, You know, there's some crazy <laughs> pro life magazine they hate. Because I've written all these op eds on abortion, so they're obsessed with me. So I'm like, yeah, I don't mind people wanting to kill me for being liberal. Right. Like, what I hated was people hating me for being ka Jong's daughter. Like, that sucks because it's like I had no No control. No right. right. And also, like, You know, it wasn't the gig. It was all cracked. You know, everyone was like, and then if I were Erica Chang's daughter and it was like, you guys, (laughs) slow your roll here. (laughs) And and so this um, to be able to be hated for like stuff that I actually did is amazing. It's like Dayenu. If they're you know, that's great. It's so
1: freeing. Oh,
0: I love that. And then the other thing is that um, I'm hating. uh, I'm hated for things I believe in. Like with this abortion staff being on the cover of this pro-life. I mean. There's a lot of really scary conservative media out there, and they all have written about me, and and they all find these pictures that are, like, the worst... <laughs> like, you, like, you don't even... You can't even believe this picture of you ever existed. It's a still from <laughs> that a video. you never saw. Right. That's You in front of a yellow background, pregnant with twins. That's, you're, I mean, if there ever were a lesson of my story, it's don't let anyone ever take your picture. Right. Like, especially if you're pregnant, like, just don't do it, man. <laughs> but, yeah, so I don't mind being hated for, for stuff I believe in. And I do... And, and there's some stuff like I'm careful not to wade into because I don't have, I think some of, because I'm 41 and I, I don't, I, my belief system is not, it's more broad than it was when I was younger. So I'm not, I don't have, like people have been trying and trying to get me to like wade into this democratic primary and I am very much not involved in that.
1: What I love is that your world is very much made up of bipartisan folks, people who at least started as Republicans, who are disenfranchised by the party now, by the party of Trump. But your world seems to consist of... Charlie Sykes yeah. and George Conway yeah. and people who are still registered Republicans, oh yeah, and some of them are really I
0: mean George and I like do fight about abortion like that is the one thing because I'm like seventy five percent of Americans are to some extent pro-choice right that is a large percentage i mean seventy five percent of Americans can't agree on anything right, so I am always fighting with him, but a lot of very serious Catholics are just can't even wrap their head around any kind of Abortion whatsoever, it's fine. I mean, but uh, yes, I think it's true. I like I, I like to be connected to these people. I find them interesting. I loved writing writing for the Bulwark. I still do. Um, I like what Bill Crystal has done now in this round. Right. Do I agree with him about all the regime change stuff? No, but does he, you know you don't have to be aligned with someone politically to write for their newspaper or magazine. And in fact. What I think has been really interesting about writing for the Bulwark is, people got so mad that I wrote for them. I mean, so mad. Like I got more abuse for writing for the Bulwark than anything else I've ever done, and they were like, "She's not a conservative. She's not conserving conservatism." And I was, and I really loved that. I
1: was like, <laughs> but they also. They also do something very elegant, which is they often call your piece's opinion. Right? And why can't your opinion be? Oh yeah, and they contained are within within a conservative yeah. journal.
0: Oh yeah. No, the whole idea is it, the problem is the conservative press and is so the. I mean, the country itself is so bifurcated. We have the right and the left, and the idea is that these two camps can never interact whatsoever. The problem is you can't govern that way. Right. You can't, uh, You everything, I mean, the problem with Obama was that he couldn't reach out to the right, so he couldn't get things passed in a way, I mean, I don't think he should have been more conciliatory, but I think he could have gotten things done more, I mean, I was actually talking to someone about this, like, could Hillary have scared those Republicans into doing health care in a way, with a public option the way Obama couldn't? I don't know. But that's a question to be asked. Yeah. So um, the world is so bifurcated now, but it's just completely counterintuitive to everything we need, which is we need. And I'm not saying that Democrats should be Republicans or even that Republicans should be Democrats, but there is a lot of common ground.
1: Well, so we are now looking back on Watergate lovingly, longingly. <laughs> who'd have thought? Right, right. And we are now thinking about people in heroic, in, in in a heroic mantle, because whether they were Howard Baker or whether they were Peter Rodino or whomever they were, they were working across the aisle from one another, and everybody says, you know, that's the difference between then and now. Oh, yeah. But it's not the only difference between then and now, because at a certain point, the Republicans, including Richard Nixon, had a sense of governmental country purpose, country over party. I I mean, when is this? How is this going to end?
0: I mean, but one thing I just will say about Nixon, and I do agree he did some good things in the EPA. If you listen to the Nixon speak, it is like just like the Trump speak. I mean, I was listening to some weird Nixon speech and I couldn't believe like media is the enemy, of the people, the enemy is less. Right. I mean. Yes, there was. That's Right. right. And also and I mean, the speeches are like verbatim. Like I couldn't believe how similar it was. So I do think. And remember, Roger Stone worked for Nixon. There's so much continuity. Right. In fact, there's this interesting theory that a lot of what's happening now is payback for Watergate. Seriously. Yeah, because Hillary worked on Watergate too. Yes, I mean, she all did. These people That's right. Worked on Watergate. So it's this strange thing where we're actually back into this. Similar, I, I mean, I don't know. You know, there are a lot of interesting... Mitch
1: McConnell was probably a senator during Watergate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Mitch McConnell, it's interesting to see, not to just hijack this for a minute, but it is interesting to see there are... He's like the most unpopular senator. Him and right. Susan Collins is number one. He's number, number two. two. And uh so, look, at Cory Gardner. I mean, these guys... It, Joni Ernst. Right, it could happen. It could happen. Democrats could flip the Senate, which would be oh so. I, I almost think more than defeating Trump, and I want the defeat of Trump more than most things. But uh, defeating Mitch McConnell would be yeah it'd be delicious, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah.
1: It does seem though, you know, as as Lindsay. the Democrats were laying out, as the House managers were laying out the arguments in a very. Um,
0: it did an respectful
1: job. yeah very respectful way no name calling no right. no, no turning the the uh, no dissing the republicans by saying let's lay this out as opposed to the republicans saying 24 hours 24 <laughs> hours 24 <laughs> hours so all of that i guess did not appeal to the republican senate but if the american people heard it they probably have some messages for their senators when they came home for the weekend.
0: I mean, the thing that matters the most, and we saw this with health care, is for people to call their senators right. on the phone, right. call them up, because senators are elected to represent you. Right. So, and it's funny because I do, um, I so I often go on this progressive show, um, Michael Signorelli, and I love Michael. He's, Michelangelo Signorelli, sorry. And he's one of my favorite people. And we talk a lot because there are places that get his show that don't get any radio that's not conservative. Right. You know, there's no, because there's not a lot of liberal radio anyway. Right. And so we talk about these people who are like in these red states, just at sea, and they're liberals. and. And um, they don't realize, though, even if you have a Republican senator, they are there to represent you. So if you call, you are making your voice heard, and they will sooner or later—I mean, it's— for them,
1: they're marking down how many calls they're getting. Absolutely, and that matters more than anything yeah. to them because, of course, they're running for re-election. Exactly, and a lot of these people are running for re-election
0: soon. Right, and the fact that Trump is running again means that Trump can't stump for them in the way they want. He wanted to. I mean, we'll see that in Alabama too. I'll be interested about Alabama now.
1: What do you read every day, and how many hours are you on Twitter? And if you say 22, I would believe it. Um. So every
0: day I read the Columbia Journalism newsletter, which is really great. I said CJR I, or C... CJR. Yeah. Yeah, I suggest uh, definitely... Um, that is really good. I, I read Brian Stelter's newsletter. I think that's really good. And
1: I read that at night. Do you yeah. read that in the morning I or at night? I read it whenever
0: I, it comes into my box. But he's great. I think Oliver Darcy is really smart. Yes. I think they do a great job. Um, right. uh, I read this newsletter called The Writing, which is about the right-wing ecosystem. And it covers these smaller right-wing sites that nobody's ever heard of but that are driving... Driving
1: public opinion. Well, yeah. and also
0: they're the feeder... To the you know they're going to the Washington Examiner, which is going to the um, Wall Street Journal opinion section. Wow, yeah. So this stuff is boiling. And Fox up. News, right? Of and Fox News, right? So um, the writing, and then I read um a couple of other newsletters, and then I read the Washington Post and the New York Times, and I read the Daily Beast, and I I read them all the time. I mean, I also you know am uh, an editor at large, but I read them all the time because. They have a lot of really good boiled down news stuff. And you I'm a subscriber. Sure do. Yes. Yeah, and I'm a subscriber there too, which I really like. And um I read The New Yorker. Um and I read I read a lot of stuff. I and I there's certain things like I love The Atlantic, I read The Atlantic. You write for I, the I write Atlantic for the Atlantic also. Atlantic too. <laughs> yes. But there's a lot of interesting stuff out there too. Like I read The Intercept. There's a lot of smart stuff in The Intercept. I read uh BuzzFeed. There's some really good, like Jason, uh, um, Anthony Cormier and Jason Leopold. There are a lot of smart people out there. I read Politico and I read their newsletter. Um, so it, there's more. I mean, what's interesting is even though newspapers and magazines have changed, there's a lot of really smart content out there. And uh,
1: and they're independent. They're yes. people who, Judd Legum, right. who goes out right, there, right. finds a little niche for himself and pursues it. That's right. He does Yashara that. Yashara who, who I don't even, that's a pseudonym, but there are right. people all over who have who have uh, uh, like a mission. Yeah. It does feel like a mission to get through this. Well, at the same time, this feels a lot like Germany in the 30s, Molly. And not that we were alive then, but it's sure when you read history. I mean,
0: I would say it's different in the fact that there's a free press still. Still. And that's what makes Trump crazy is because you've never had. And that's what beguiles the free press too is because you have this authoritarian regime you are ruled by an autocrat and then you have a free press that doesn't quite like the job of journalists has changed right you're not I mean for me I'm in a very easy situation because I am an opinion journalist on the left so I don't have to have a nuance you know I don't have to have a nuanced non-political view right and even when I report I people know where I'm coming from. So even and I don't I I don't do a lot of like straight reporting. I mean, occasionally I do. But when I do an interview with someone, I do the interview and I but people know where I'm coming from. And then I don't try to hide it and they don't try to hide it. And everybody knows. But where you're when you're with when you're a straight reporter and you're writing for some place like The New York Times, The Washington Post, you have to be, you know, apolitical. right? Right.
1: Right. But.
0: You have to chronicle a politician who you know is lying to you. So it's an impossible situation, right? You can't be political. You can't have an opinion. But you know this guy is lying to you.
1: And so then the question is, should we be reporting on Trump less? I do feel like the oxygen the press gives him helps him go nuts.
0: Right. I mean... Yes and no. The problem is, it, it's like this impossible situation. It Because, yes, it, the oxygen, the free media is is how he won the first time. But certain things you can't, I mean, you have to, you know, you can't not report on the stuff that is tr- Trump doing something insane that might or may not, like, affect, you know, are we going to get into Gulf War three? I mean, We knew that was insane when he that Soleimani hit. Yes. But nobody quite knew if it was the beginning of World War Three or if it was nothing. And I still want to know whose idea that was because I have a lot of trouble thinking that Trump cooked that up. He didn't even know who Soleimani was 18 months before that. Right. So I, I think and I also think the way it works now with the media and all of this Internet traffic is that, thing. you know, it's sort of like a wave, like the Bolton scoop yesterday. So um, that Bolton scoop was Maggie and Mike um, Schmidt. What, Mike Schmidt. And, and and that was an amazing scoop. That was an amazing scoop, right? There is a book, the White House has it. It says a lot of really bad stuff for Trump. And, I mean, that was an amazing scoop, an right. amazing scoop. So the question, but that that scoop took over, right? So we were no longer like you know, Kobe Bryant, <laughs> like everyone right. else, you know, sort of got, you know, and that's what happens is these, it's a sort of sea of content and it sweeps away the other stuff. And that's okay, but sometimes really important stuff gets missed.
1: Oh, or you take it in and you're numb and you take it out and you wait for the next wave of something to come through. And it's hard to hold on to the ideas that you need to feel motivated to do something. Right. right.
0: I also do think that there's a point in which, like, we know a lot more than we did during Nixon. So, if we had been able, like, the press is much more free than it was during Nixon. So, that is something you have to think about, too, where even though we have these issues with reporting and people on the left are mad and people on the right are mad and Trump is mad. I mean, it's a really bad time to be a straight news reporter. Like, I, I don't say this about myself because I'm not that, but like those people, it really sucks. I mean, because they're getting abused from all sides, and there's that's no right. playbook.
1: Yeah, that's right. The playbook has been torn out, and but, and there are no press conferences. Right. But even like with the Kobe Bryant
0: thing, right? Yeah. There was so there was all sorts of stuff leaked. There was reporting that was wrong. You know, somebody said it was all the kids. Someone said it was Rick Fox. Someone said this. Someone said that. So it was like a convergence of the perfect storm of all the stuff. And part of it was because we have the Internet, you know, nobody's waiting for a news headline. You know, no one's trying to make a 3 a.m. printing. They can do it today. They can do it right now.
1: Well, and a guy who was near the the smoke... Can post it and say whatever he wants, right? And it becomes gospel for a minute,
0: right? And until that, it
1: gets debunked. And yeah. you're
0: seeing that with the Chinese virus, that right. you know where there's so much complicated. And I mean, that is the thing. When sometimes I'll talk to groups about how to be smart about the media because. People say, oh, liberals must get off Facebook, get off Facebook, delete Facebook. Now, I really hate Facebook and I think they're terrible and they're terrible and they support anti-vaxxers and they do all sorts of terrible stuff. And actually, there's uh, statistics that show if Facebook goes into a country, the anti-vaxxers go up. I mean, oh, yeah. No, no. They're responsible for a public health crisis like you can't believe. But
1: should... Thank you, Dr. Chan.
0: Right. Exactly. Should, Should liberals delete Facebook? No. No, you should go to Facebook and say no this is not true. You should report the untrue truths. You should post the you know if you're out there you can make a difference. You can post no that's not true. Here's the actual reporting. No 911 politics is not a real site. No the gateway pundit does not know that Hillary has whatever disease and right. is spreading it. Yeah. You know? Right. This is we are the we are going to have to be the public editors of the Internet.
1: Well, there ought to be more public editors. I I regret that The New York Times got rid of the ombudsman because that was an important thing, too, because sometimes. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel The Times is just rolling over and letting the Trumpers. Well, that's the problem, though, with with when you're a
0: journalist is how do you report? Right. And I don't know what the answer is, but that is, and we're going, and we see that in the Times, and we see that in the Washington Post. Yeah. And, and and I don't know that they're wrong, but I don't know that they're right either. I mean, I it's so co- the
1: issue is so complicated and problematic, and so chaotic. <laughs> so how do you manage um, leading a household of three <laughs> woke and and yes. semi woke kids? <laughs> yes. And at three different schools. Yes. And being their mom full- time and doing all this other stuff, and your kids have been has sort of come along on your political, yes journey, right? Yes,
0: and actually, and my husband travels a lot too, but he has been really supportive. so that has been good. Um, our kids are um our kids are great. They're really funny. I mean, the one thing. Our our sixteen year old woke teenage son on Twitter (laughs) Uh is um so mad at me because he feels I'm not liberal enough. Oh yeah, and he's like he's like okay liberal, and and, and yes I'm very unwoke and he's very mad at me for my various I I I was like okay Uh,
1: how funny yeah
0: he's hilarious he's really funny and then um I have a second son who's a little bit conservative which is interesting. I mean he's anti-Trump but he he wants to be in the military and he loves the military which is my grandfather was a, a communist who went to jail, right. my father protested the Vietnam war. I uh, I mean it's weird. And then I have a daughter who is extremely just serious and she it's interesting it's interesting to see this younger generation because they are really educated in a way that we weren't which is very cool. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I do the best I can. What's nice about having been raised by a working mother is I – and I did take time – I took a long time off to deal with them. Right. When they were little, little. And now they're kind – they need – they kind of need space for me now, so mm-hmm. it actually works out. Um, but I do the best I can. And I, and I think the lesson is because as someone who is – a a daughter of a working mother is very hard to be a working mom. Not so hard to be a working dad, of course. Of course. And so uh, I think the message that my kids will get is that you do the best you can when you're a
1: working mom. And by the way, the passion they see Has to be inspiring. I think it's good for them. You have inspired me. How could you not inspire them? I
0: I think it's good for them to see that you can change things, that you can say this is not okay and go and do it. And I've seen that a lot, not just me. Like a lot of people have said this is not okay. And I mean, a great example is this woman that I met right after the election. uh, she was a nurse, and she had worked in the Obama administration under uh, in public health and working on the ACA. And she had a pre-existing condition, and I met her at this arena summit, which is this cool organization that I um, am involved in, but not as involved because I feel like as a journalist, even though I don't do straight journalism, I don't want to be on the board of a PAC. It feels right, like the right. wrong thing. Um, But they're amazing. And um, they and I met her right after the election. I was devastated. I went to this arena summit, December uh, 2016. And I met this woman. And and what was and the one thing I will say, it was like I was behind me was a whole row of kids who had driven from Yale Law School to uh, Detroit for this, or not Detroit, I think it was Tennessee, they had driven in their car from Tennessee. Like, it was this incredible feeling of all these people who were ready to make a difference. And who cared. Right, and this woman, um, Lauren Underwood, is now a congresswoman. Right, I mean. Wow. Yeah, so this, and she works on healthcare. And when I, and when I met her, I said, "You have to run for office." And she said, oh, "I don't know." And with women, they have to be told to run for office like seventeen times more than men. It's some crazy <laughs> right. statistic. Right. Like a man, you a man just says to you, "And I will be one day a congressperson." <laughs> I mean, yes. And right. I, and maybe one day I will be president. And women, you know, they you say you should run for office, and they say, "Oh no, I I'm not could qualified, not." Right. Yeah. No, not me. You know. And um, so I have seen this a lot with Lucy
1: McBath.
0: Oh, she's amazing.
1: She's amazing. She had her issue of guns and there she is fighting guns.
0: So that has been very cool to see that.
1: I think also you have, and I'm not just saying this to try to catch an invitation, but I think you have salons at home in which your kids get to participate with I, I with mean, varying degrees of success. Yeah, but yeah, but don't they? They get I, to meet your I, guests I, yeah. at, at home and see that yeah. you know you're talking to Rick Wilson. Yeah, he's a Republican, or he was.
0: Yeah, he's a he's a real Republican. Still. Yeah, I mean,
1: some people like Max Boot
0: are not Republican. Like Max Boot is now essentially a Democrat, right? But, but he was right. He was. No, he was. a
1: um I, I read Rick his is, books about the Cold War. Yeah.
0: But Rick is really now still a Republican. I mean, he's good he's good on choice, but uh we fight about guns.
1: But you fight about guns at home. Right. In your nice apartment yeah. with your kids. Yeah. Being able to Well, that's see the, this as an example of activism. Right.
0: And you're going to have I mean, the other thing is in order for things to pass People are going to be able are going to have to be able to talk to the other side. And it's not a popular message because people on the right don't want to talk to people on the left and people on the left don't really want to talk to people on the right.
1: Well, too bad. Yeah. Well, too bad. And you know what? You're making a difference. You're making a difference in so many ways. And I just think from the young girl I met years (laughs) ago to who you are now, it's just you're, you're, I just admire you, oh, well, Molly. You. I really do. I just think you took a platform, you took your articulation, you took your voice, and you've funneled it into such activism, such leadership. And you haven't even tweeted once since we have been in the <laughs> studio. And the fact that you're Erica Jong's daughter hasn't even been relevant yeah. to this yeah. conversation, and she's very proud of what you're doing. And I'm very proud of what you're doing. And I'm just really glad that you're here. Just before I we do f-
0: I just want to say one thing, I do feel very lucky that I was um situated in such a way to be able to do that. And to some extent, my the way I grew up and also having this famous weird family definitely helped me. And so, I don't, I I do feel like I meet all these activists who are like, I mean, a great example if we're going to talk about, I don't know if you know about Anthony Daniels, the minority leader from the Alabama State House. This guy was raised by his grandparents who were sharecroppers. Okay, Mm, right. Right. He is now the head of. Of the minority, uh, the minority leader of the House of Alabama. So, like, I what I've done is great and it's fabulous. But you know, I come from a very literary family. I've had a lot of advantages. Right. Someone like Anthony Daniels was raised by sharecroppers. Okay. He was. So there are so many people out there who have these stories that are like a hundred times more improbable and amazing than mine. So I, I, I'm honored and thrilled. But I do want to say you you there are a lot of places and also if you're listening to this and you're a listener and you want to do something adopt a Senate race i mean i, I or go and talk to anthony daniels and the minority leader of the alabama state house you there are certainly state races that are very interesting but i mean susan collins defeat susan collins Sarah Corey Gideon. gardner right yeah, Sarah Gideon is Amy McGrath. Amy McGrath. Um, there's, pe- you know, there's people running against Lindsey Graham. Right. And there's just a lot. Devin Nunes. Devin Nunes. There's a lot of Jim Jordan has a really good challenger yes. who just came in. yeah, yeah. So there are a lot of little races that you can make a difference in, and call them up, and go and volunteer, and give the money, and do because there really is uh there's. We can all make a big difference. That's what I've seen. So that's very cool. It is very
1: cool. It is very cool. And you're right. You're right. There are people who, look, AOC was schlepping ice. No, no. Before she decided to run for Congress. One
0: of my favorite activists was um, working in a gas station, living in her car in high school. And now she goes to Columbia. So, I mean, I'm not to say that I'm not great, but I have had many advantages along the way, which I I have tried to use the best I can. And I say this to my children. You know, I take my older son to all this stuff and I say, like... This woman went to high school while living in her car. Right. Okay. Right. Like this is what it takes. Like this is you think of all the advantages you've had now that you can go and do these kind of things. And and so I do think um, it's been very cool. And the arena has really introduced me to a lot of those people in a great
1: way. Do you think um, Trump is going to. I I don't even want to ask you if you think he'll be impeached, because God knows. Well, I mean, he's been impeached. He's been impeached. Will he he be be removed? Right. Um,
0: I think right now the question is, will they want to see witnesses?
1: Witnesses.
0: Uh, It's possible. I think it's as possible as it's ever been. Now, does that mean it'll happen? I don't know. The thing that's interesting to me, and I think the thing that the Republican senators don't totally get is that at some point they completely lose the faith of the American people. And they don't think, like I've seen the the polling and I don't think the MAGA base is enough to keep those people in office. Like that, you know, you, will th- you look at a place like a really red state, like Alabama or Mississippi, the calculation there is that these people don't, they can just use the MAGA base and then they will get reelected or, and if you look at Alabama, what we saw in that special, which Trump worked really hard on, was that um, Roy Moore could not win, even though he's very MAGA. And so that is the and Matt Bevan, You've right. seen that again and again. Right. So I'm not these senators, these these, um, you know, senators who aren't so Trumpy, but who have to vote with Trump on the witnesses. Uh, And I think that it was smart the way they had to vote on every single you know, they had to vote on all the witnesses. Right. They had to keep voting to show that they really were all in. Those senators think that they, they I mean, they're scared. And so they're supporting Trump. But they think that they can get away with this, and I'm not convinced that this won't come back. Well, like Martha
1: McSally, who you just yes. wrote about. Yes, oh. You know, Ooh.
0: I mean, I have to say, I've really disliked Martha McSally since I wrote this piece about Catherine Spetzdauer. Right. Because... Catherine Spetsdauer, uh, I'll just tell you a little bit. Do I have a minute for this? Yeah. Um, she was, uh, she was like the a lieutenant, uh, lieutenant colonel in the army, and worked for the guy who's now the vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs. And he sexually harassed. She al- she alleges that he sexually harassed her, uh, and very detailed allegations. And um, Martha McSally got up there and was like, "I don't believe you." Yeah. Like I don't. She's like you're definitely lying in a way that was completely unnecessary, and as a victim of sexual assault, didn't need to happen in any way, right? And so I have to wonder. Like I, I just that really when that writing about that has made me really dislike her, and then to see her go all in on the Trump train last week, yes, was totally with fun. the liberal hack, yeah, yeah. really it's unfair, tacky. really
1: yeah. tacky, exactly. Okay, Molly, I wanna, I wanna. Thank you for being on the program. Thank you for having me. And let's go to your five great (laughs) things that sustain you through this time.
0: It gets a bad rap, but I love television news, and I really like MSNBC, and I watch it a lot. And sometimes I watch it just because um, I really—well, we really like Maddow in my house. I really love Katie Turner. There are a bunch of them that I'm really—even you know, though I don't really know them, I'm very connected to— and the fact that it's becoming sort, of, it's getting more of a woman-hosted organization is right. really exciting for me. So I, I actually watch a lot of MSNBC, and I think they're great. Um, I read, number one, number, number one. two. I read. Uh, I'm going to say uh, subscriptions. I read the Daily Beast. I am an editor there. Full disclosure, or I can, an editor at large, um, but even better. But I, <laughs> I yeah. am subscribed. I get a lot of very good emails from them that are short. But very smart. I think the writing is very good. There are a lot of smart people there. Michael Tomaski, who's my editor, is like, I, I mean, and Harry Siegel's my other. I have two editors, but Michael Tomaski has really, and Harry too, have really taught me how to write. But they're also great writers. So I read them, and there's a lot of smart writing there. There's great entertainment stuff. I love them. Uh, the Atlantic, where I also write for, and I'm a subscriber there, and I love them. Um, and also, you should be a subscriber to the Times and the Washington Post, right? Bare minimum. I just think it's worth it. it it's worth Democracy
1: it. Democracy dies in the dark. Right. I agree with that. And,
0: and you have to have. I mean, even if you're mad at them, it's still worth having it. There's I a agree. lot in the New York Times and the Washington Post that's not, you know, Brett Stevens. Right. Um, so then the third thing is this Olaplex shampoo <laughs> <and> conditioner <laughs> from Amazon. It's really good. I mean, I have really colored my hair a lot, so I have all sorts of hair issues, and um, I love the Olaplex. I
1: like the smell of Olaplex. It's
0: so good. It I can't smells believe and it's not fancy. expensive. And it's so good. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. Um, coffee. I drink a lot of coffee. I love coffee. I I get my venti lattes. I know it's bad, um, and then I have these enormous portable phone charging batteries that I always have with me. Um. Even though just because I'm constantly like running out I'm always on my phone or I'm on my computer and I'm constantly running out of juice. So I like to
1: have a battery
0: with me just in case. Yes. Yeah. Very neurotic. Though. Well,
1: I can't bear it when I'm out of milk or coffee at home. Right. I, I just feel like something's going to go wrong. Oh, no. So I bad. understand the yeah. battery.
0: Yeah, Exactly.
1: You've been listening to Five Things That Make Life Better with me, Lisa Birnbach. My guest this week has been Molly Jong-FAST, author, gadfly, editor at large for the Daily Beast, contributor to Atlantic, the Playboy, Bulwark, other places, glamour. glamour. Really?
0: Yeah, I've been working on interviewing presidential candidates for Glamour. How
1: fantastic. They're really cool. I love Glamour. Wow. You can follow Molly on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Molly Jong Fast. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play Music, YouTube, and iHeartRadio. My blog is at Lisabirnbach.com where you'll find links and photos to all the things in this program. This podcast is produced in New York City by thefieldtv.com. My engineer is Jimmy Regan, assisted by Kevin Watkins. My team is Spresso, Rucci, Michael Port, Boko Haft, Sam Haft. Until next week, stay cool and act natural. Bye-bye.
0: That was Five Things with Lisa Bernbach.
1: New episodes every Friday, if she remembers.